All right, so if you haven't met me before, my name is Tony, and this is my ninth year working on staff for Chi Alpha. <laughs> and I'm married to my lovely wife, Melissa. <laughs> uh, you may have seen Melissa around on campus or speaking even here on Tuesday nights occasionally. Uh, you probably haven't seen me much because I took more of the role of stay-at-home dad this year, and so I haven't been on campus a lot, but it's been super fun. Um, yeah, so I very much love our community here with Chi Alpha. Um, I've been a part of Chi Alpha for 16 years, from student and intern at Western all the way to being here on staff with Central, and I love it. It's so good. Um, lately, I've been having the joy of taking care of our kids, especially when they would get sick, so that way Melissa could go to Chi Alpha, her core group, or even other events. And uh, here's a picture of our family, um, and... <laughs> They're cute. And speaking of, of cute, our kids, there's Tyler and Annabelle, too. Um, they're, they're the best. We just love them so much. And both kids love to be silly, as, you know, all kids love to be silly. Um, and Tyler is four. He'll turn five in a few months. Crazy. And he has a unique engineering mindset. He loves how things work and wants them to function properly, exactly the way they intended. And he also lives life at 100% full send all the time. <laughs> so he wants to run the fastest, play the hardest. He also has a great inquiring and creative mind. And I love, love, love his go get him attitude. Um, Annabelle is two and a half, and she is such, has such a cute and hilarious demeanor. She loves all things that are small and cute. And she has that type of humor that's like goofy and lighthearted. So it's so fun. Annabelle sh often shows care if something's wrong or if a friend is sad. She'd always ask me if I got hurt, are you okay, Dada? Mama, you got to pray for Dada. A and, and pray for me too. <laughs> so, so funny. And so she can be super sassy when she wants, when you talk and play with her. Um, but also she likes to observe. So God blessed us with two precious kids and our lives have been richer than ever. So tonight, um, I get the privilege of speaking to you all, which is really cool. Uh, this quarter, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, tonight, our text will be in 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 11, uh, directly after the events that Nancy shared last week. So join me as I read 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For he has spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, uh, carousing, and detestable adultery. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they'll, give to him, get, they'll have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel is preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. 
If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through, Christ, through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So I'd like for us to consider three main points this evening. Uh, one is put on the same insight as Jesus. Two, keep wearing that insight. And three, what Jesus' insight helps us do. So right away, Peter uses the word therefore and references back to ver- uh, chapter 3, verse 18, which says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness the righteous for the unrighteous to get, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So we kick off our text today, tonight, with Jesus' example and the instruction from Peter, where he's literally saying, apply what we learned, apply what you learned. Here Peter says, arm yourselves with the same attitude. So what does that mean? This type of phrase is like the phrases that Paul would say, such as putting on spiritual armor or using spiritual weapons in Ephesians. The commentary we have been using says the idea of arming themselves refers to putting on insight or a point of view. Peter instructs the Christians of Northwest Asia Minor to put on that same insight as Jesus, to face suffering or abuse the way Jesus did. And Jesus knew he was doing good and he suffered willingly. He did not back down from doing what was right. Wow, that's, that's some courage. Our first point for this evening is put on the same insight as Jesus. What are ways we could put on Jesus' insight? And how can we not shy away from doing what is right, even if it hurts us? There's another phrase, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. So what does that mean? This thought comes with the assumption that Jesus suffered when he was human, just like us. Melissa would use the phrase, Jesus was God in a bod. While he was a bod, he suffered for sin during this life on earth. By his suffering, by Jesus' suffering, he would never have to deal with sin again because it was finished after his death and resurrection. So read the four Gospels and you'll see Jesus' death and resurrection. What's so special about Christ's example is that dealing with sin and dealing with life in the flesh are coterminous. That means sin and life in the flesh are dealt with at the same time, and there's an ending point for both. In Jesus, we won't endlessly suffer from life here on earth. That will end. In Jesus, we won't endlessly battle sin. That will end as well. So do you see that? Do you see the hope in that? Jesus has made a way for us to say no to that voice that says to us, this will never end. You're stuck. You're doing okay now and have a break, but the next thing you know, something's going to show up again. We get to say no. That is Satan just tripping us up and trying to keep us from seeing truth and being set free in God's truth. What is true is that there is encouragement. Once we take hold of God's insight and literally wear it, we'll realize from the example back in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22, that we follow in Jesus' footsteps and live for God now present day. We suffer in our earthly bodies and we battle sin. This leads to a parallel victory that the battle will end and we'll cease to struggle with sin. Just like Jesus' example, our job is to persevere now until we're victorious. So while we probably aren't being persecuted here on Central's campus to the point that our lives are at stake, 
perhaps you know, there's other ways we might be suffering. Mental health is a tough battle right now. Our physical health can be a challenge. The enemy who prowls like a lion ready to pounce on us when we are tempted and give in is another thing too. Our culture that says right and wrong is relative, that's challenging as well. I think it's important to hear that we need to learn how to embrace suffering, to own it, to identify it. We need to figure out how to not let it master us, but also we shouldn't run away from it. Guys, I want to go beyond boiling things down and saying, yeah, everyone's kind of going through something, or even like, let's, have, let's just have a pity party. We're all going through something, you know? God transcends these issues and wants to say personally to you, I see you. I see what you're going through. And he can. He's God. He can simultaneously hear, listen to, and speak to all of the 7.9 billion people on this planet. He cares about you. God ushers the ability for you to keep going through this challenging time of life. He says, my daughter, my son, what you're going through hurts. There's pressure. There's exhaustion. There's isolation. There's frustration. There's temptation to just give up. There's desire to escape. There's the will to give in. I see that. My heart breaks for you, but don't give up. I have made a way for you to overcome all of this. Just follow my son's uh, teaching, Jesus. Follow him one step at a time. By arming ourselves, putting on Jesus' insight, suffering, and being done with sin, we get to live for God while we're waiting for the end to come. This points to a real choice that humans get to make. While waiting for Jesus to appear, there's still this current time where people live and act on, on, earth, with their on earth with their physical bodies. So which power are they serving? Does the person live with a solo focus of human desires? Or is their solo focus on the will of God? There's a clear contrast here. Desires would be like spoken as like I want or the rational of if it feels good, do it. The, the will of God will be to die to ourselves, like it says in Matthew 16, 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Lately, what are you focusing on? Your own human desires or the will of God? Is there something that maybe you might need to say no to? What are, the way, what are ways you can move the focus over to God's will? Verse 3, um, it's, it's kind of ironic uh, that Peter would highlight the past time when a believer's life pre-Christ was enough. It was sufficient, if you will. Well, <laughs> there's a purpose for that. Remember back to Brandon's message way back week two of the quarter? We're referring back to 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16 that says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Brandon helped us understand that God intended for us to be holy by living out a pure and set-apart lifestyle. These Christians who are listening to Peter's letter had been part of the culture previously. They participated in that verse 4 list of bad actions that were outside of God's will. Yet now, they chose holiness and to be set apart from that. They chose to put on Jesus' insight. So, how do you need to arm yourself and put on Jesus' insight? 
How is God calling you to live a set-apart life from the old ways you used to live? Our next point, keeping, keep wearing that insight, relates to verses 4 through 6. So let's go ahead and read that again. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even, though, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in, re, live according to God in regard to the spirit. So remember how I said there's an in-between time right now before sin and our physical bodies are dealt with where people get to choose how to live? So which authority or power will rule over them? Will it be human desires or God's will? Here, Peter focuses on other people's reactions, especially the non-believers of this time. They quickly notice the change in lifestyle, and it's just confusing to them. <laughs> they can't even. It throws them off so much that they're so bothered. The Jesus followers couldn't, wouldn't participate in the culture, and the language used here for non-believers in Greek is they considered it strange. They were astonished by the Jesus followers. But the Bible goes on to say that those viewing the strange behavior also heap abuse on Christians for not doing the old things anymore. Or in other words, they slander the Christians. In this society, things were intense. By not following idolatry or immoral behavior, believers were called haters of humanity, politically disloyal. I think it's kind of funny, and they added, and generally abnormal. Because Christians took communion, the watching world would, would then literally accuse them of cannibalism. Basically, it's painful rejection all around. Rumors spread like wildfire, gossip running rampant, and the worst part is the believers couldn't correct it and were ostracized by their former peers and friends. So what do we see here? Such harsh separation, and it's just painful. But remember, God calls his people to be holy, even if it means discarding, discarding cultural conformity and being ridiculed. God says this is the way forward, and this is the true and correct way to live. So let's think of ourselves for a moment in relation to the early Christians. How have we felt slandered? Has it been in the form of silent judgment or what others perceive and say behind our backs? Are there similar situations in your life when you first chose to follow Jesus or visited old friends from your hometown or high school? Did they think you were strange for abstaining from previous habits and immoral choices? Um, I could actually relate with this some. So when, when I first became a Christ follower, uh, my parents were, <laughs> they were so mad and literally said, it's as if we don't know you anymore. We're concerned for you. Granted, I did tell them that I'm no longer following Buddha anymore, and I was Buddhist for 12 years of my life, so I guess it was a big deal. But I did say, I'm still Tony. I'm still your son. I'm learning what it means to have a relationship with God and to follow Jesus. I'm not crazy, and I still love you. Please respect my decision. Another time, some of you here, and even Nancy already, currently, I applied for the Chi Alpha internship. That one was offensive. <laughs> the, 
my parents thought I was throwing away my education. I was pursuing pharmacy school at the time as a fifth year senior when I made that choice. And they thought they wasted so much money to put me through school for nothing. They thought I was going to be homeless and out on the streets. And guys, they were livid. There were multiple conversations where I was just being yelled at and chewed out. But I loved my parents. Yeah, it, it hurt. But I endured in Jesus, and every time I would just silently take word after word, tons of flack, pressure, questions of how, how would you, how would I provide for myself and my future family? What benefit does a postgraduate level training in religion bring? You're wasting your time. Don't waste your life. All I simply did after these times were wait for 30 minutes to an hour, a straight lecture, and calmly asked, could I, may I answer your questions now? Then I shared my heart. The Holy Spirit and Jesus helped me to navigate a fractured sense of trust and show that my mo motive was still to honor my parents, even though they didn't see that. Par my parents, of all people, who desperately wanted, who I desperately wanted their blessing and their support, were slandering me for my faith. The story does lead to some redemption. So my parents aren't believers, keyword yet. I'm holding on to the hope that they will follow Jesus someday, and as God gives me opportunities, I'll keep reaching out to them. Since that story of me signing up for the internship, they turned into being one of our biggest cheerleaders. Um, they have seen the richness of having a family in Christ at our wedding day. They went from questioning if we'd be okay to, think, uh, to thinking this or even thinking this was crazy, to thinking we have the richest life, not financially, but in quality of life. Whenever Melissa and I go to my hometown and speak to at a church there, they'd literally call up our neighbors and bring, bring people to hear us talk about Chi Alpha at our church, at my church. <laughs> and um, yeah, it, it's just incredible. And, and my family is so much closer to us and to the kingdom now. So I hope you guys in wherever you're at with your walk, your journey, that you can see that one day you're suffering from others and your continued obedience ultimately does not go in vain. That in Jesus, this sort of thing is possible. Melissa and I are so thankful to God and what he does is always beyond our imagination. All right, so back to our text. I also love the idea of how the onlookers that Peter would talk about were astonished by how these early Christians acted. Earlier in the Bible, our same author, Peter, with his peer, John, John's another disciple of Jesus, had, um, they basically had the same astonished reaction from onlookers. In Acts 4, uh, it tells a story of the authorities putting both Peter and John in jail and questioning them for the things they were doing in Jesus' name. So obviously, the authorities didn't like it. They wanted to stop. But as Peter answered them, apparently it was a bomb message because the authorities were astonished. They realized Peter and John were unschooled, ordinary men that had been spending time with Jesus. Their behavior, their words were foreign enough or set apart from that culture that it caused change and impact. A man was healed. The authorities couldn't help but be stunned and, and let the two disciples go from further questioning or persecution. And so let that be for us, that if, if you have to explain to your professors 
in whatever department that you're in, why you aren't taking every opportunity to do extra things like the other students are. It's because Jesus wants you to make time, to have time to make disciples while you're here on campus as a student. Let it be so that we'd be so in love with Jesus that people can even see him by how we explain why following him is worth every sacrifice or even by your own actions. As our passage continues in verses 5 and 6, Peter continues to address that what we do and how we do it matter to others around us. God is saying to these people that, yes, you could feel abandoned, you could feel defenseless, but the people accusing you are the ones who have a problem. They'll answer to the judge, and that time will be soon. So Peter is basically saying um, to those believers that justice will come, but also that what matters are the choices we take in light of that coming judgment. Peter is even saying that the death of Christ's followers isn't really as tragic as it seems. The gospel of Jesus, sorry. The gospel of Jesus will make a difference regardless of circumstance. And Peter encourages that if people say yes to following Jesus while they're alive, that means salvation at judgment. So do you see the encouragement Peter is giving them? He's calling them to not even waver with everything going against him. We should be praying, Lord, help me to stand by your standards. God, how can I live an unwavering faith here on Central's campus and even at home? In what areas of my life do I need to keep wearing Jesus' insight? All right, so let's reread um, the last four verses of our passage tonight, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So the end of all things is near. That was a common sense of thought. In the Gospels, Jesus would talk about how the one enduring to the end will be saved. And Paul even would use the same terminology to the Corinthians. Bottom line, Peter is saying to, if the end is right around the corner, you should live responsibly. He says, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Peter is calling for a mental alertness that sees life correctly in light of the coming end. Remember, we, we put on Jesus' insight and we keep wearing that. We keep wearing that insight. We keep in view that this age is ending, our dual suffering in our bodies and with sin is going to end, and all of us will be judged in the end. So we need to live and make choices now in light of that coming end. This mental alertness Peter talks about leads to prayer. Not escapism, not a band-aid answer, but what Jesus meant with his words, watch and pray. It's a clear vision and seeking of even clearer vision from God. The commentary called, called, it, uh, called prayer clear communication with headquarters so that a soldier can effectively stand guard. I love that imagery. It's really good.
So our last point for tonight is what Jesus' Jesus's insight helps us do. What are some things that putting on Jesus' insight compels us to do? For one, it starts with giving us the ability to draw wisdom from God as we live out our lives in this world. Just like how Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, we draw wisdom from him and stay connected to him as we live out our set-apart lives. As we keep spending time with Jesus, we keep putting on and refreshing that insight, getting our HP bar up to the max again, if you will. <laughs> we are filled up to keep living life as a Christ-following, set-apart student, and we will bear fruit in his name. Jesus' insight helps us to live out verses 8 through 11. Peter first talks about loving deeply, or in other words, don't slack off in love. He's helping the believers maintain communal unity and practical care for each other. This love will forgive and overlook the faults of others in the church. And it's an important virtue for the community there that needs to be solid in the midst of all that persecution. So a thought is, how can we be loving? How could we be forgiving and overlook, overlook the faults of others in this community? Just after this, Peter specifically talks to the believers about hospitality and to offer it, offer it without grumbling. Hospitality was very important, in, and it was an important cultural necessity. It's mentioned directly five times in the New Testament and implied nine other times in other passages of the New Testament. And how it would work in this time in 180 Asia is that if a traveling Christian stopped at your house, the expectation of hospitality that would be that you'd provide for their food and their housing for a max of three days. The practice of hospitality was often a costly act of love for these believers because they lived on a hand-to-mouth basis. Imagine literally, like, the hours you worked that day made enough food for just one day. And suddenly, a traveler shows up asking, hey, could I stay with you and could I eat with you? Peter saw their situation and potential complaining. He urges the believers to act and to, to act and love at a level that transcends the negative attitudes, despite the sacrifice. Peter is trying to grow willing and cheerful hearts. So hey, uh, remember that Ethan announced that next quarter one of our missionaries will be visiting? Could we try to practice growing a willing and cheerful heart uh, when Sierra comes in May? Some other thoughts to consider. Um, how have we complained or grumbled when we last served or hosted? Ask the Lord, how can I grow willingness and cheerfulness in my heart? Thinking further about our lives as college students, what ways of hospitality are there today? Um, how about being led by the Spirit to offer gifts? Let's be Jesus followers who ask to pray for one another, one another as soon as you hear things are a struggle. Like, like how our daughter Annabelle asked Melissa to pray for me every time I mentioned having a slight headache. So cute. <laughs> Let's take the opportunity to spend time to listen, to respond, and be hospitable in our speech. The complete opposite of gossip. Hospitality and conversation can look like we try to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. How would they feel? If you don't understand, then choose to be a learner and ask them, how would that make you feel? Asking questions and providing space for people to share freely can look like relational hospitality. In every way, all of Peter's instructions are helping his audience just really live for God. 
like our Bible's title in this section, if you notice that. The better we get to live out, the better we get at living out Peter's instructions and putting um, Jesus's insight in every area of our lives, the more we can show people who don't know, is the more, then the more that we can show people who don't know Jesus what he's like, what his love and his service feel like. Jesus's insight helps us to be gifters of God's grace. We are to be faithful stewards, providing what is needed to build up the body of Christ. God wants us to speak into a person's life with words of knowledge or wisdom. He wants us to pray for healing for someone in Jesus' name. Peter encourages this to the early believers, and the principle is the same here and now. This is normal living as a follower of Jesus, that out of Jesus' insight, we get to do these things, and we should practice them. We should look for opportunities to do so. So, how are you doing in these areas? Peter then concludes our passage with how God's gifts should be stewarded. When a person speaks, that could mean prophecy, teaching, evangelism, or preaching, it's not like, it's not just intellect or a person's own great ideas, like their own strength. The emphasis here is that those words ought to be the very words of God. They need to bear God's image in the delivery. If someone serves, that would mean administration or the leading of people, care for the poor and the sick, the giving of money or distributing money to those in need, physical care, healing. These are all acts of God in tangible form. We are to do that with the strength that God provides. The principle here is that when we serve, we don't do it on our own strength or will. We'll burn out if we do. We rely on God. We are stewards of God's gifts in absolute dependence of him. By doing it this way, it leads to God being glorified, and we could truly show others God's character. This is how Jesus' insight enables us to speak and serve. In conclusion, um, I want to invite the worship team up as we reflect on some of the things Peter has brought uh, to us tonight. So what is an area of struggle that's standing out to your mind tonight that maybe Jesus wants you to embrace in a new way, in a different light? Do you need courage to live differently than others' desires or pressure on you? Maybe from your parents' desires for your, of your life. What, what uh, your current friends or old friends, significant others, think about you being different now? Could it even be you need to live differently in your major and know why you're forging a different path than the masses? Do you need to stand up to sin in your life and say, Holy Spirit, Help me put this to death, and then tell a close friend, facilitator, or core group to help you. Do you need to embrace hospitality, whether relationally, not gossiping, or literally being more generous with your living space or even your finances? Do you need to surrender your own future plans to Jesus and ask him to give you his insight to help you live for eternity, eternity more than your own glory? Maybe you need to ask and pray Jesus to direct you each day so that you could give out his grace to, every, to others everywhere you go. Do you need to ask Jesus to forgive your sin and to teach you what it means to have a relationship with him? Jesus wants to wipe away your guilt and your shame. 
and replace that with his joy and his delight for you. If what I said just now or tonight resonates with you and you haven't chosen to follow Jesus yet, um, perhaps that's the next step to go that you need to do and just to go all in. You can't follow Jesus by just spectating, but instead go full send like my son Tyler does. If this is you and if you're at that place, I'd invite you to pray to Jesus and ask him to help you no longer live for your own will or glory, but for his will alone to put to death sin, and to grow a relationship with him. Ask Jesus to teach you how to be a disciple who makes more disciples. These are some of the ways that I saw Peter mentioning us to live guided by Jesus' insight rather than guided by the common ways of our culture. Living for our culture, sin, or others' wishes for us is easiest now, but worst in the end. Living set-apart lives, we will experience suffering and maybe relational rejection now, but we'll be welcomed by Jesus into his arms at the end. So then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks so much for the massive hope we have in you. As we continue living for you and suffering in this present world, please help us each learn how to put on your insight and keep wearing it daily. Please show us how to live for you in all the ways that Peter has challenged us tonight. Pray that you talk to each one of us as we respond in obedience and worship. Amen. Yeah, before we...